Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. So that was not the office music that you just heard. It was not because, well, we've still got an episode we have to do on The Office. It's now becoming like the lost episode of the Pop 6, but we haven't actually done it yet. David Reed is on his, I guess, anniversary week this week with Lindsay down in Gatlinburg. Happy anniversary, guys. Yes. Yes. Happy anniversary to them. We can't, of course, do the draft. And I was thinking about this. Look. We're talking about Marvel today. I think you probably figured that out by now. And we've been chomping at the bit to sit around and talk about Endgame and talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe in greater detail and maybe even some of the television properties as well. And this conversation, I don't have a rubric for it. I don't have an outline for it. It's going to be very free-flowing, and we have veterans of the Pop 6, two of them. Rhett Bryan, who was the other half of the Office podcast with David Reed, and Brad Willis, who, of course, spent a month deep-diving friends with me and will be a part of our Lost cast and our Saved by the Bell cast and all the things that we're going to be doing. But Marvel is just sort of on the brain right now, and that's a good thing. It really, really is. But I was thinking about the talent draft that we have to do for the Office. The ultimate talent draft is going to be this Marvel draft that we're going to have to do because there's so many characters that matter. And I think you want to talk about some fights and some explain why you take Hawkeye over Wasp <laughs> well, and, and, and how, all of that but, stuff. But the other thing is, think about how many legitimate number one overall selections you could make. Right. There's not a there's not a you know a clear cut number one. No, there's not. And that is going to make it fascinating. And I didn't even think about it until this morning. I thought, oh, the Marvel draft. I mean, good lord. But so Endgame's pretty good, guys. Yeah, I'd say that's probably a fair assessment. Yeah, if we're lowballing it, yeah, it's pretty doggone good. How many times have we seen it in this room? This I've point. only seen it twice, and I feel disgraced that I haven't seen it more. I saw it three times opening week. I've seen it once, and I feel more disgraced than you that I have not seen it more than once. I drove to Atlanta to screen it, and then I saw it the day it released in Dolby, and now I just want to see it in Dolby over and over and over again because Dolby is so – it's better than IMAX. It's better than everything. I've got a nine-year-old, and the day they announced the, the date of the release, you know, April 25th, he said, can we go see it Thursday night? And I said, no, that's the night of the NFL draft. And you know, unfortunately, we won't be able to go see it. But we'll go see it soon after that. And he's like, what about Friday night? And I'm like, no. That's still the draft. What about Saturday night? The NFL sucks, Dad. <laughs> we went Sunday morning after the NFL draft. We saw it. We went again Monday afternoon when he got out of school to see it. And, uh, and then I took a few days off at the end of last week and decided to spend my Friday morning seeing it one more time. You know what's interesting is I saw some people saying, you know, you go back and you see it. And then you can just leave the theater like it's baseball because you've already seen it. And there's stuff in it that you don't necessarily have to watch in the first couple of hours. I'm thinking to myself, I don't really feel that way. Like, I really enjoy the whole three hours. And I didn't think that I was going to. I was sure that this film was going to be too long because every film that's two and a half hours or more is too long. I enjoyed this thing basically from start to finish. And I should have known when I heard, you know, what's my fantasy, the traffic song is like, okay, we're getting something here. Like, this whole thing from the minute you see Robert Downey Jr.'s character in space and he's sick 
and you can tell that they've got him looking emaciated because of the conditions of everything that's going on. Like, it's just, it's phenomenal. And I enjoyed every second of it. And it, up until the point in the credits where you're able to leave, I could still have applauded. I don't applaud in movies. I can tell you people do that. I've done it twice that I can recall in my life. I stood up during the midnight showing of Batman Begins because Nolan had finally given that character, my favorite character in all of pop culture, something worthy. And then I clapped at the end of Avengers because the entire critic screening was doing it. And I was just like, you know what? Yes. And then when we got to the credit roll, which is my favorite credit roll I've ever seen of the main cast going through and them all signing their names, which is basically signing them off in a lot of ways. And Downey's stuff started to pop up and everybody started cheering. I am not ashamed to admit I was cheering right along with it. And that is why, and that is where I started this whole idea. And I put this on Twitter a couple of weeks ago at Jmart Zone. And of course, Rhett's at Rhett B Tennessee and at 1045 Zone. You should have already been following them. I said, how many people and how many characters, this Iron Man character that Robert Downey Jr. has portrayed for the past 12 years is now one of the most iconic characters and performances in the history of motion pictures. And I was trying to think, what's better than this? Because think about how many films have spawned because of the success after so many superhero films, quite frankly, sucked, like weren't good at all. The first two Spider-Mans I enjoyed, Spider-Man 2 in particular, I really did like. Spider-Man 3 was a disaster area. Uh, those Tim Burton Batman films don't really hold up particularly well when you go back and try to watch them. And then you get to the Schumacher stuff and 3 and Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, which is among the worst movies I've ever <laughs> seen. You know? And then you think about it, some others like you know Green Lantern and Fantastic Four. And, don't, don't remind me about Green Lantern. Oh, I can't, boy. I can't. They had a lot of bad superhero movies. X2 was decent. The second X-Men film I liked. The first one wasn't awful. Your One of your favorite film trilogies, the the, the Christopher Nolan Batman yes. trilogy. I think, I think it probably deserves the credit for changing the face of superhero movies. Well, it made it, it, made it a lot more gritty, but Iron Man predated it by about a year, right? Is Dark that right? Knight, Dark Knight was 09, and... Uh, Iron Man was 08. Okay. Well, now, Nolan's universe started in 05 with Batman Begins. Right. A um, gritty, realistic... Everything about it was kind of based in reality. It wasn't campy. Right. If you want to just take it to a pro wrestling example, superhero films were 92 and 93 WWF, where it was Doink the Clown. Erwin <laughs> R. Scheister. Yeah, it was yes. all of the, just yes. that kind of stuff. And then... <laughs> All of a sudden Skinner. you get. Then all of a sudden you get. <laughs> <laughs> Spit the tobacco. Then you get Stone Cold Steve Austin, and you right. get The Rock, and you get Triple H, and you get guys that are just larger than life, but there's still something there that you can grab onto. And I think that that's what you got from Nolan because that's what Nolan does. And then Marvel, look, when I walked into Iron Man the first time, I really wasn't sure. I wasn't sure that that wasn't going to be a disaster too. Because up to that point, outside of the Nolan stuff, what was the best superhero stuff we'd ever seen? To me, it was Batman the Animated Series, which I bought on Blu-ray last October. I don't even buy Blu-rays anymore. <laughs> but I bought this one because I wanted it in my collection. I didn't want Amazon to be able to take it from me or somebody else to take it from me. It was tremendous. And you could say, look, my dad enjoyed the Christopher Reeves Superman films, you know, a couple of those. And not all of them were just 
utter failures, but we had not seen anything like this. And Downey Jr. had kind of, I mean, he had done what? Kiss, kiss, bang, bang, and a couple of things, but he had been known more for cocaine habits and being kind of like Rob Lowe in a lot of ways before he came back and did this and basically reinvented his entire career. It was a total reset of what was a lot of potential that had kind of failed in a lot of ways because he had personal demons. Jason, you're exactly right. First of all, I echo what you say about the length of Endgame. It may be the only movie I've ever seen that's three hours long that I didn't want it to be over, was engaged the whole way, couldn't wait for what was going to happen next. And you're exactly right about Robert Downey Jr. because this guy was a part of not necessarily the Brat Pack back in the 80s, but he was – in that edge of of actors and had been washed out with trouble with the law, drugs, the whole deal. And this backs up. I'm going to take it a, a layer deeper. The first thing that got on my radar that Robert Downey Jr. had done something right and was back on the right track was the year before in 2007 when he played Paul Avery, who was the San Francisco Chronicle beat writer, uh, in, in the movie about the Zodiac yeah, Killer, yeah, the and he was, yes, he was fantastic in that. Yes, he was. So when I knew, heard that he was going to play Tony Stark in Iron Man, I'm like, okay, this may be pretty good. Let's see what happens. I don't think that Marvel Universe and where they are today does not happen if uh, you know Robert Downey Jr. does not get his stuff together and get things back on the right track. He is the crux of this for me. No, I agree. And Denny Jr., to me, he reminds me, it was almost like we saw two guys go in opposite directions. Downey Jr. was a personal disaster that just all of a sudden fixed it. It's practically unemployable. And Couldn't now, insure him. And at the time, who was named, Who was one of the best actors in the world? Now, I know Daniel Day-Lewis was kind of widely regarded as mm-hmm. maybe the best actor in the world. But Johnny Depp was way up on that list. Look what's happened to Johnny Depp and Robert Downey Jr. over the past handful of years. Downey Jr.'s not in trouble anymore. If he's still got vices, we don't know about them for the most part. He keeps it pretty close to the vest and just goes about his business and makes a lot of money making Sherlock Holmes and making all of these various things. And Johnny Depp was sort of, look, he played Hunter S. Thompson in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and he was the guy that could play any role. And then he had kids, and he decided he wanted to make movies for his kids to enjoy. So he got tied up with Tim Burton and started playing, you know, the Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland and Charlie in the Chocolate Factory and all this. I think he squandered a lot of his career in terms of what he could have done, but his demons went the opposite direction, and what was so good about him early in his life went the opposite and then you look at Robert Downey Jr. and he just somehow was able to flip a switch and I don't think that there's anything to be said for the fact that look Iron Man working the way it did probably helped he it the, gave him a his, foothold his delivery of the quips yes. and lines in that character are fantastic yes. and they have been from that very first Iron Man movie um but yeah, he it's amazing. He is the literal definition of the phoenix rising from the ashes of his formal former vices, habits, and self. I, I compare. There's two guys that I look at and I say, man, I did not see them coming back in the way that they kind of have him to a larger extent than this other guy. But Michael Keaton, and when he came back and he made Birdman, and he did The Founder, and all of a sudden he's Those getting Academy films. Award nominations. Right. And this is a dude that hadn't you hadn't heard about this dude in a long time. Like right. he had that stretch where he did like Mr. Mom and the Dream Team and Gung Ho and a lot of films that I enjoyed growing up. Just kind of 
throwaway comedies, but enjoyable stuff. And he did The Paper, which was actually a really good film as well. Then he disappeared. But then when he came back, my man's doing what? Spotlight. Great and, movie. I mean, everything he's doing, like yes. all everything he touches is all of a sudden he is an A-list guy yep. almost. Like he's, it wasn't that he was unemployable. It's that nobody was casting movies and thinking, hey, what's, uh, uh, what, what's Michael Keaton doing? Let's call him. Let's see if he can play this role with gravity. And the same thing happened for Downey Jr. But Iron Man, like I said, I walked in, didn't know what to expect. Walked out like, holy cow. I, told, I was here. an evangelist for yep. that film. I told everybody they needed to go see that. <clears throat> and they all called me morons until they actually spent the eight bucks at the time to go see the film back in 2008. It changed everything. And it led to, well, how many films have we had now? Is it 22? 22. 22 in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And somehow, the 22nd was the best. And that is kind of incredible. We're sitting here watching Game of Thrones. A lot of people feel like it's going down the tubes here in this last season. And there's two episodes left. It's so hard to land these planes. And somehow Avengers Endgame was the most satisfying piece of fan service for not just his character, but all these characters that he has helped spawn and been a part of that it just made you want to stand up and cheer because you bought into every single thing that was happening. The film was beautifully paced, and I can't recall, if you just said, what's your favorite hour of a movie ever? I would have to think real long and hard before I said anything was stronger over this decade than the last hour of Endgame. I mean, it was... Well, the battle scene alone is worth the price of admission. Yeah, it just That's all the things that it pays off. Yeah. And it's tremendous. As we start to talk about that, maybe we should throw the spoiler alert yes. <laughs> message out there. Yeah. Look, if you're this far in, dude, <laughs> this is on you at this right. point, all right? We haven't given anything up yet, but spoilers coming. Jason, I'm going to tell you something else, too, and I will mention this throughout this series, but my, my favorite superhero as a kid and always has been and always will be is the Incredible Hulk. Hmm. And From the TV show? Yeah. And I, I, that stuff was in syndication from the early 60s, and it would be on when I would come home from school. It would see I would see Captain America, Fantastic Four, Iron Man, all that stuff. Um, and in this world of movies, I, I sat through the Hulk with Eric Bana. I sat through the one with Ed Norton Jr. Uh, because that's my guy. Mark Ruffalo did for that character what Robert Downey Jr. did for Iron Man. And sadly, and made we've a, never gotten a standalone Hulk film. No, and I, I I hope that maybe there's something in the works for that down the road as a prequel maybe, but uh, that made the Avengers even better for me personally because he was my guy. So we talked about Downey, and Downey was the start, and Downey, you couldn't have cast anybody else. And when I compared Downey to Rob Lowe, you've got to be able to speak really fast to be Tony Stark because I can't even imagine what Tony Stark is without the way Downey talks as that character. But I think about Chris Traeger and how fast <laughs> Rob Lowe would speak on Parks and Rec. Uh -huh. And I'm like, he could have played it. The thing is, you had to be able to be in an Aaron Sorkin show to be able to play Tony Stark. Robert Downey Jr. wasn't in the West Wing, but he could have been in the West Wing. He could have played those dialogue sequences. He could have done those walk and talks. He could have done those back and forths that we've seen Tony Stark do the same way that uh, Sam Seaborn, Rob Lowe's character, was able to do. And Josh Malina and all these people that we've seen go on to do this stuff. He had that level of talent. And the Tony Stark that I read growing up in the comics, I feel like he changed what 
Tony Stark was. Like when I saw Downey, all of a sudden you have to draw him like that. All the characters, he starts to look even more like Downey in all the comics. But I could read the bubbles in Matt Fraction's writing and in everybody's writing in Marvel, and I just saw Downey. And that was super impressive. And I thought, well, can anybody else do it? You mentioned Ruffalo. I think Ruffalo did great. Unfortunately, there's no Hulk film, not because Ruffalo didn't want to do it, but because Universal owns the property dating back to TV with the Bill Bixby show and Lou Ferrigno. And they just haven't really been able to play nice with Marvel. So they haven't been able to do it. So Planet Hulk, which was a story that I read in the comics years ago, they put that in Thor Ragnarok because they knew they probably weren't going to have an opportunity to do the Planet Hulk storyline on its own. It's a shame because I think that the standalone Hulk film would have been great. Interesting fact about Robert Downey Jr. and playing Iron Man. He would he would plant food all around uh, the set because one of the things that I'm always taken with, with his performance of Tony Stark is how relaxed he seems to be in, mm-hmm. in just about any given moment. And so he would he would hide things around the set that he could kind of nosh on in a scene and and it drove directors and and continuity experts and cinematographers crazy because you know they, they try to get rid of this stuff and yet he'd, he'd you know open a drawer and he'd have a bag <laughs> of cranberries if you watch a scene in the avengers he's he offers a banner you know cranberry and and he's just eating and he has this very relaxed pace about him i actually paid attention to that during endgame and there's a couple of different scenes where the the one after he takes the uh the juice pop from his daughter right and he's chewing on the juice pot while he's talking about how he's inventing time travel and then when they're kind of in uh, going through the time heist where he he almost he has a toothpick one of those plastic toothpicks you know in his mouth and he he, but he just has this very laid-back tony stark thing about him that just jumps off the screen at you it's everything it's everything about the character is kind of embodied in that performance and he played it throughout you know the exact same way so that was like a pacifier for him it's in almost so many I, respects i wonder if it's not a crutch that you know it, he uses but but on film it comes off as you know so human it's like his blanket right almost but look it worked that's for sure i mean it, it well, gives there's another him a actor natural that does feel. there's another actor that does that a lot in films it's brad pitt mm. he does a lot of snacking and doing things like that if you think about it that's true. Back he did that all the way through the big short. Like he's sitting there eating celery and all that Something kind of stuff. Did it, your hand. Did, it, did, yeah. it, did it way back when in seven with yeah. with um That's not a film you should be eating watching anyway. Oh. What's his name? Once you see that gluttony scene, you never well, want to eat the anything box. again. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll talk about the main characters, then we can actually start to talk about sort of the universe a little bit more. But the other guy that I've been most impressed with throughout this is Chris Evans, because when the first Avenger hit, I bought into him playing the character, but I was just kind of like, all right, this guy's all right. Like, he didn't really blow me away. Every time I've seen him perform that character since, he's been better. It's like he really figured it out. He would add some nuance, some extra layer, some more heroic kind of characteristic or facial expression or something like that. You talk about the relaxation of a Robert Downey Jr. throughout that character. I feel like, especially in Endgame, but just in the past few in particular, Chris Evans felt like he was totally relaxed as well. Like you really bought into the fact that he knew how what made that character tick. He knew how to play it properly. And as a result, it was wonderful. I'll, I'll piggyback off of that with this. 
uh, and let's see if you two have the same idea about Chris Evans. I judged him unfairly because of Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, in the Fantastic Four. Yeah, that was bad. Um, and so I didn't give him ample chance to begin with, but he won me over very quickly. And I agree with you. I think he did get better with every film that came out. I think the point is actually pretty well made that both with Captain America and with Iron Man, I think there were a lot of people that when the casting was announced, people kind of raised their eyebrows and like, really? Like that's, that's the, like Robert Downey Jr. and everything he'd gone through when you heard he was playing Iron Man before you could actually kind of figure out what that was going to be. You're like, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. Well, I guess we'll see. You know, Chris Evans, Captain Man. Well, I mean, nobody really knew Chris Evans. Right. I mean, yeah, Human Torch, I guess, but hopefully there were a lot of people lucky enough not to have seen him. <laughs> right. As yeah, bypass torch. those. <laughs> not good. So it was like it was an also ran and it never was. And those were the two sort of like foundational pieces behind this entire thing. And I, I talked to you about this, Brad, and I wrote it in my review at the Big Six blog that I feel like there were five Avengers films, not four, because Civil War was absolutely an Avengers film. It was not the third Captain America movie. hundred yes. percent. I was more geeked for that than just about any other standalone movie because for all intents and purposes, Avengers movie. Yes. And if you were trying to rate them one to five, Ultron would be the worst of the five. Not, not even close. Not, yes. Yeah. Not even the first one, Joss Whedon did a tremendous job with that. I saw that three times opening weekend. I remember going with different with different people to see it because I was so impressed with it. Uh, and then, I mean, Endgame is the best of the five now that you've gotten through it and you see how it's all paid itself off and, and just the way that they beautifully wrote these characters the way that they did. Civil War came about it around the same. Well, it was about a month or two around um, Superman versus Batman, mm -hmm. Batman versus Superman. And it was the same basic idea where you had two superheroes clashing with one another. And people didn't want to see it. They didn't like it. It gave a negative emotion. You don't want to see Iron Man and Captain America facing each other. You don't want to see Batman and Superman going fisticuffs. Now, I did the first one because I read Civil War when it first happened. And I knew what happened in the comics, which didn't necessarily happen. But that short story and Spider-Man being unmasked on television and Captain America being shot on the Capitol and dying right there and leading. And I was in the midst of reading the Ed Brubaker Captain America run, which is as good a run as comics has had in 30 years. It's, it's real. It's not comic stuff. It's real. Like it feels like you're reading a drama. It's like you're reading breaking bad, but it's Captain America tremendous. And so there was a lot to like about that, but they didn't necessarily follow through with that story. I still thought that film was really good, and that's where Tom Holland, what, showed up for the first time, that's I right. believe, yep. in that movie. And that was another thing that they needed to find a way to get right, and we'll talk about Far From Home, and we'll talk about that, is they could never find Spider-Man. They found guys that didn't really want to be Spider-Man. They wanted to make the money that Spider-Man would give them, but they didn't want to be typecast. That was Tobey Maguire. I don't want to be typecast as Spider-Man. Well, now you're typecast as a dude that's not in movies. <laughs> now you're typecast as a guy that plays poker in Vegas on ESPN. Well, and that's Alfred Molina is one of the vi the villains, too. You're Just, sorry. Typecast is an internet meme of taking your glasses off and putting them back on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're typecast as a nobody. And then Andrew Garfield, who I really liked from The Social Network, which is one of my two, three favorite films of the century. But it just didn't fit. 
even though I liked the first Amazing Spider-Man on its own, I thought it was pretty well done. The second one, maybe not quite as much. But Tom Holland actually feels like Peter Parker, and he's the first one that sort of has that youthful exuberance and the willingness to be vulnerable and also like the quick the quips and all of those things that you have to be to be Peter Parker, it finally fits. But he's not one of the main players just yet. seems like that's certainly about to change. But you had Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson, we did know who that was. And the idea of her in the suit, that was not going to hurt their box office numbers (laughs) (laughs) at all. And then you had maybe the most decorated performer was Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner, who was nominated for The Hurt Locker, He was also nominated for The Town. That's two Academy Award nominations that he had in 2010 and 2011. Uh, American Hustle. I mean, he did some big-time films, and he was a really... Accomplished actor. Very good actor. Mm -hmm. Hawkeye has not had its standalone either, and maybe it doesn't need one, and probably it wouldn't get one at this point. I don't know. I don't want to watch it do with a bow and arrow It's going to get a Disney Plus series. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where where you're going to get the extended Hawkeye story. Yeah, and I think maybe you don't do Hawkeye because CW was having success with Arrow and it would have felt iterative of doing that same character again. It's fair. But I like the character, and I like the relationships that were built, and I think that's the other thing about Endgame and the and the Avengers universe as a whole is those main characters, the main group, and we didn't even talk about Hemsworth and Thor. Matter of fact, let's talk about Hemsworth and Thor. The first two Thor films were Thor films. Thor was never a character that I cared very much about because I'm not drawn to the medieval and the castles and the rulers and the lords and not near and dear to my heart. No, yes. Then came Ragnarok. Oh man, Space Odyssey. I I I don't know how much more surprised I could have been by a film than when I screened Ragnarok and I was just like, all right, let's get let's do this, get this over with. And then Korg showed up on my screen and my (laughs) life changed. I mean, Ragnarok's one of the funniest movies. It's one of my favorite of the Marvel series. Yeah. I love that movie. And you pepper in Idris Elba. Oh, yeah. And some of these other folks in there. It's Jeff fantastic. Goldblum. Yeah. I mean, that Absolutely. movie is awesome. There's just no other way to say it. It's awesome. And so that really kind of changed it. And there is Hemsworth, who could be the leading man type, that's just fine being the butt of the jokes and just having fun and not taking himself too seriously. And I think that that has served him well. I mean, was, Hemsworth was in Snow White and the Huntsman, I think, years ago, which I saw. And that was like, all right, this is this is what this guy's going to be. He's going to be the Thor character and everything. And then the Thor character became Lebowski. The Thor character became the drunk. The Thor character became the guy <laughs> that was totally insecure about everything in his life and just had fun with it. And, and so it makes it so much easier to root for him and, <laughs> and just, you know some dude that reminds you of Thor. And you... I don't think anyone could have seen that coming. No. That was the greatest part of that is when they when they when they find Thor hanging out with Korg oh. in New Asgard and uh Korg in the Hawaiian shirts just yeah. too perfect <laughs> playing Fortnite <laughs> talking smack on the uh, Xbox Live or whatever. Yeah. Um with I, a kegger from a six pack. <laughs> yeah. Went from a six pack to a kegger. That's right. That's what Brad and I talked about after we saw it. I'm like that's one of the funniest things in that whole deal. Oh, it's so good. He's fantastic. You know what may have illuminated this? Because there was another shift in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that was when they did start to have fun with these characters. And you can trace that to Chris Pratt and Guardians of the Galaxy, 
when it didn't have to be the serious exact same story again, you could still have gravity, but you could still have a lot of fun with this as well. And Guardians made it almost slapstick, and then Ant-Man took it to another level. I, I'm glad you brought up Ant-Man, because I remember when Guardians of the Galaxy was released, I had no prior knowledge of, of Guardians of the Galaxy. But I had faith in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that it would at least be worth watching, that it would at least move the ball down the court. I saw the, I saw the, I saw the raccoon. Yeah, in the trailers, I'm just like, like what yeah, I don't is know this? about all this. Is this made for selling toys to ten year olds? Right, right. Guardians of the Galaxy, the original, is probably in my top three. Oh, it is for for sure for of, of of the MCU movies. And then, furthermore, another obscure one that you when you saw, you're like, eh, I'm not sure. Is Ant Man? Yep. And and so, fast forward to today, and we look back and we see how important Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant Man end up being, kind of to the whole thing. And you th- and you start out thinking that this is all Captain America and Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk, and it turns out that it really does take all twenty two of these movies to kind of, or twenty one leading up to the twenty second movie to pull off this feat. Yeah. And um and and what the you know the pieces that they were able to kind of uh, plant. With those two movies especially, went a long way in, in kind of being able to resolve the entire thing. Yeah, and these films all had a formula. You knew how it was going to end generally. You knew what was going to happen at the beginning. You knew what would happen in the middle. You, I mean, it, 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 it really did follow a formula. I don't know why DC couldn't capitalize and just do the same thing. Um, Green Lantern was one of the most disappointing experiences Never saw I've ever had. Don't, Glad I didn't. don't, don't. Yep. Please don't. <laughs> One, uh, I'm urging you, save, save yourself. I was so excited about Man of Steel, and it just, I, I saw it twice the day that it released, and I thought I loved it. I didn't. I, I I get to it now, and I know that last fight is still going on now. It's lengthy. It is ridiculous. And there was it was just too much to it. And I think that at some point, they didn't have nearly as much fun Marvel decided they wanted to have fun making these movies. Ruffalo as as Hulk could be funny, like he was in Endgame. He was tremendous in Endgame. That character was awesome. And we'll talk about the specifics of the film here in just a second. But these films all thought they could be Christopher Nolan, but they didn't have Christopher Nolan there for the ride. That's a recipe for disaster. So you get, look, Justice League sucked. Suicide Squad was not good. Dawn of Justice was not good. They weren't having fun. The jokes are one of the things that makes this work. The levity around such gigantic stakes makes what's absurd work. It's why Shazam worked. Shazam this was really year. good. Shazam was very good because Zach Levi doesn't take himself too seriously and because he probably loves the character because he's a nerd at heart. And that's why Chuck worked for the exact same reason on NBC. Like, there's something to be said for that levity and still being able to have gravity. And Downey can play funny. And at the same time, play serious in the same second. Like, you can believe that he's crying in front of Gwyneth Paltrow right after he calls Chris Hemsworth Lebowski in Endgame. Like, he can play both of those things. He can straddle that fence. Ben Affleck can't straddle that fence. He can play He can play a dramatic role, but he can't be funny. Not since Mallrats. You feel like, in the differences in these two series of movies, that DC is the brooding little brother. Yes. That... Just as butt hurt about everything. Yeah, they are Edward Cullen. They are Twilight. <laughs> yes, they are. That's a great analogy. They are Edward Cullen. It's like they take themselves too seriously yes. because these characters are iconic. 
Meanwhile, Stan Lee's making cameos. R.I.P. to Stan Lee, of course, but Stan Lee's making cameos in all these films that just draw a little bit of applause, and it's just a one-liner, and then you just move on from it. Marvel, as they took it less seriously, somehow made it more important. And then Endgame, they had to take seriously. Infinity War, I wasn't necessarily blown away with just because I knew it was a setup film, and I knew they would find their way out of what they found their way out of. But they had a lot to pay off because they had 12 years of stories and relationships that they needed to treat with respect while still getting past this villain. I was blown away in the moment of Infinity War in the sense that you you expect a little bit more of, of, of a resolution. And when the film goes to black and you realize, oh, wow, that's it. You know, it, it's a little jarring. I mean, you, 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 much like you said, you understand it's a setup film. But you're almost waiting for a little bit of a resolution to happen, and it doesn't. It's just Thanos, you know, happily staring off into the sunset, and you're like, oh, wow, this was a Thanos movie. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, this yeah. was... He's he got was, the glove, he's got right. the stones, he's ready to rule it all. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was the Matrix Reloaded before Revolutions when you knew that you were going to get, you know, Neo and Morpheus getting done what they had to do. And, sure. And Neo basically having to sacrifice himself in that moment to save everybody else. And so you had all that. So these 22 films, if you look at gross right now, it's obviously going to go to Endgame, but Black Panther is, is, is in charge right now just in theaters in terms of $700 million according to Box Office Mojo. That'll change. We saw James Cameron tweet out that Avengers took down Titanic. We saw him tweet that out and congratulate Marvel. And what's awesome about that is a good film is now at the top of that list instead of a bad film. <laughs> Hey, can it? Wow! Can it go ahead and take down Avatar while it's at it? Please, can we do a sidebar right now and talk about? Can I? Who 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 listening to us right now? Please tweet me at jmartzone. Then immediately unfollow me. <laughs> who? Wow! <laughs> who out there was clamoring for a second Avatar? Much less greenlighting two, three, four, and five, which is what they did this week. Not this guy. Guarantee you. I've never even seen Avatar all the way through. Yeah, again, I'm going to urge you like he urged me. Don't. I just, you know, look, it's 2019. A movie completely built out of CG isn't that impressive anymore. So you got to come at me with something a little stronger than a bunch of blue people hanging out. I don't. I mean, again, who, who's asking for a sequel to begin with? And furthermore, how did this movie make so dadgum much money? Because it was a visual deal where it's like, hey, you're just going to feel like that they're... These blossoms are off the screen. And my, I remember watching, I was like, ooh, I feel like there's this pink flower right in front of me that I could reach out and grab. Yeah. I, you're right. It was sold. It was sold on That it was tech. this groundbreaking. Yes. It's like uh, the first time you saw Dire Straits Money for Nothing video on MTV in right. 1985. That's quite an example, I'm with but you. it's a good example. I'm with you. And the best thing to come out of Avatar, Gamora. She was in Avatar. So Right. Yes. Zoe Saldana was the best thing to come out of Avatar. Yeah, she's better green than blue. So, yes. 100%. That's, so, yeah, Avatar is a thing that doesn't need to be happening. But, yeah, let's go ahead and take down Avatar while we're at it. <laughs> let's do it. I, I'll go see it three or four more times if that'll guarantee. <laughs> I never want to hear about how great Avatar is ever again. I, I don't know that I have heard, but you remember that film almost won Best Picture. Yeah, yeah. what uh, what beat it out that year? Do you remember? <sighs> Something Fringe. Yeah, no, nah, this was before Fringe started winning. Something with Gerard Depardieu. The last film that actually like made money that won Best Picture shouldn't have won was the King's Speech beating out uh, the Social Network. 
Okay. In two thousand, I think that was in two thousand and nine. But I'm actually going to look this up now because I want to see what it was. It would have been two thousand nine Academy Awards. I remember. Was it the Hurt Locker that won? Yeah, that may I think be you're correct. Right. Yeah, it may have been Hurt Locker that beat it. Well, let me tell you what. They got that one right. Giving that to the Hurt Locker, if indeed that's the one, that uh, that would have saved it. Yes, Best Picture, Hurt Locker. And the others were Crazy Hearts, or Crazy Heart, which Jeff Bridges won for, which was an awesome movie. Inglorious yes. Bastards, which is one of Quentin Tarantino's Fantastic. very best films. Um, Up, which I thought was better than Avatar. Yeah. Up's maybe my favorite Pixar film, or right there with like Inside Out and the original Finding movie. Nemo. Uh, Up in the Air was also that year, which I loved, which was uh, George Clooney and Vera Farmiga, and that was the Jason Reitman film. So there was a lot that year. And then, of course, there was Avatar, which is, I mean, come on, bro. Like, <laughs> Harry Potter and Half-Blood Prince came out that year. I'd have been much happier if that had been nominated. Agreed. Speaking, of, You've seen those films, right, Rhett? Harry Potter? Absolutely. Yeah. Have you read the books? I have not read the books. I'm not that smart. Well, they're not... You should read the books, but Brad's never read one, never nope. seen one, nope. and it drives me oh wow, absolutely insane. Oh, wow. The list, hey, the list of movies that I haven't seen would blow you away. Well, I've I've written this down as a future episode of this show, something called the pile of shame, and your pile <laughs> of shame is the stuff that you either don't want to admit to people you haven't seen, or that you can't believe you haven't seen and know you should have. The top of mine is any of the Godfather films. I've never seen any of those. Films. None of them. But there will be people out there, Neither and people have replied to me, no. and they're like, Star Wars, never seen any Star Wars films and never stuff seen like Goodfellas. that. Never well, oh, I've seen Goodfellas many times. Yeah, and listen, Godfather, go Godfather 1, leave the rest to the rest. I mean, Godfather 2 is okay, three. but never watch 3, ever. Yeah, I've, I know that much. You know what I've never seen? I've seen bits and pieces of all of them, and I, and I, I, I appreciate all of them from a pop culture perspective. I know enough about them just from absorbing stuff. I've never seen a single Rocky movie from really? start to finish. Never. So you didn't watch Creed or Creed 2 either? Nope. Hmm. Interesting. It's yeah. interesting to be a, a sports station. I'm not a big <laughs> boxing guy. I've just never been a big boxing guy. Well, I mean, it, it, I mean, I can tell you things about the movie. I can tell you about Drago. Rocky and, loses. Rocky wins. Yeah, I can tell you, you know, that Apollo Creed dies and, you know, all those Spoiler alert. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Thunderlips. Throw in the towel. Thunderlips. I mean, you know, all that stuff. I, again, I'm, I'm aware of it. From a pop culture perspective, I just never, I've never, I've never been, if I've seen it, it's been on cable and then it gets to a break or something and I'm just like, yeah, I'm out, you know. And it's been edited for television anyway. Right, yeah. So I've never seen them as they were intended. Yeah, the Pile of Shame episode is going to be a lot of fun and it's going to be cathartic and we're all going to need alcoholic beverages to get through it because (laughs) when I hear some of the stuff you guys haven't watched, it's going to bother me. It's going to lead me to start questioning my employment. It is a radio station. <laughs> but I have some as I well. I'll tell you what I have seen. All 22 Marvel Cinematic oh, yeah. Universe I've films. seen 21 of the Same 22. Here. Which one are you I missing? I still haven't seen the second Thor film. Really? Yeah, I well, haven't, but I've never watched it. it. You saw parts of it in uh, yes. during Endgame. Correct. Spoiler but no, alert. I have not seen that one yet. Uh, just because I didn't care. It's dull. What I, what I tell you, I saw the first Thor, and I'm like, ah, it's pretty good. Never going to watch it again. It was pretty good. Yeah. But then Ragnarok. That was at I a watch weird, that every day. That was at a weird time where you didn't really feel like necessarily that the next movie is pushing the story right. too much further. So you're like, if I miss the Dark World, I'm not really sure what it's I'm like missing. It's like missing Rogue One. Right. 
Like I watched you Rogue can connect One, the rest and I like Rogue One, but all Rogue One is is like filling in side story. Oh, here's background as to why this happened, but does it really matter to the overall part of the story? If you haven't seen that, how much are you missing? Not all that much. Now I want to go back and watch it as a completionist, but it was before Thor got interesting to me. Right. So there's there's also that sitting there, but outside of that, I've seen them all and. I know going in what I'm going to get, and very. How many times have I ever been really disappointed in one of those 22 films? I mean, have I been fully disappointed in I one bet of you those haven't. two films? I mean, if you look at it, I'm I mean, just gonna, and, and the Dark World out of 22 films ranks 22nd, just about on everybody's list. Yeah. So I mean, that's the one that you might have a chance of watching and saying, "Yeah, I'm pretty disappointed." Monetarily wise, just in terms of gross in theaters, and I think this is just like North America at box office mojo. But from 1 to 22, I'll just read the films 1 to 22, and then we'll say if any of them were actually disappointing. Right. Black Panther is number one. Not disappointed. Certainly not. Infinity War, not disappointed. Nope. Endgame, uh, we're doing a podcast about it. The Avengers, certainly not. Age of Ultron, I liked it, but I know it's not, like, fantastic. Captain Marvel, I really wasn't disappointed by it. I didn't have that many expectations for it. It was going fine. in, but it was fine, yes. Iron Man 3. Had the kid in it. It was okay. Anything with, with Downey. I didn't love Iron Man 2, I will admit that. It's not next on the list, but Iron Man 2 disappointed me maybe just a little bit. But it was because Tony Stark was so unlikable in that movie. After being unlikable all the way through one and seemingly figuring himself out at the end and then regressing to be the same character like they reset it with different villains. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing that I think maybe disappointed me Same about director. It. Uh, yeah, that's you know, right. A lot of times that'll happen when you get a different director, but that it's yeah, that's but a Iron strange. Man, yeah, it was a little regression. Yes, Civil War no didn't disappoint me. Guardians two didn't disappoint me, even if it wasn't as good as the first. I still really like Michael Rooker, the storyline they told uh, in the back half of that movie in particular. Spider Man Homecoming exceeded my expectations. Yes, uh, Guardians definitely exceeded my expectations. Mm -hmm. The first Iron Man exceeded my expectations. Ragnarok definitely, definitely, definitely exceeded every expectation I had for it. How far I, think you I watched it with you. How far are you down the list? That yeah, one. we did. We were in a critic screening yeah. of that. Yeah, that's what Doug said. I am. Yeah. See you later, new Doug. <laughs> <laughs> we're done. We just we just peaked. <laughs> what? So how far down the list is Thor Ragnarok? Thirteen out of twenty. Okay. Iron Man two is fourteen. Winter Soldier is fifteen. That's a crime. Up you, until Endgame, that's the best Winter Marvel Soldier. film ever made. I've seen it once. Oh, I, and I, and I, I liked it, it so much. fine. Um, I think I saw that four times opening weekend at the theater. Wow. I could not stop, man. I was so... I loved everything about it. I need to go back and watch that one again. The one people forget about is Doctor Strange at 16, but I thought that was great. I enjoyed it a lot. I really liked it a lot. Benedict Cumberbatch, end of yeah. story. Yes. Ant-Man and the Wasp was good. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was very entertaining. Uh, Thor the Dark World, again, that's the one where I just say it was probably fine. Thor and Thor the Dark World, I think, are two of the, the worst ones on this list. Well, Thor is 19. So Thor the Dark World was 18 and Thor was 19. Ragnarok was 13. They changed up the formula, started to make a little bit of money out of it. Uh, 20 was Ant-Man. Loved Ant-Man. Yes. How is Ant-Man 20th in terms of box office? Because it's Ant-Man. I guess that's true. I mean, you, you, you go in with the, the notion that because it's lesser known that it's not worthy of your time. But Ant-Man was, I thought, really good. 21, Captain America, the first Avenger. I remember seeing Captain America, the first Avenger. I saw it first day. I saw it at a drive-in. 
Oh, wow. And it was like two weeks after it came out. Like, mm-hmm. I, I was like, eh, I guess I'll get around to seeing this. And then, and that was uh, 2011. And then Incredible Hulk made the least of all, the Edward Norton film. Yeah, that was not great. I enjoyed it at the time, but I have never gone back and watched it. But you From remember the only guy, two films, you got Ang Lee's Hulk, which yeah. was not good. No. And then you got The Incredible Hulk, where I kind of liked it, but I don't remember anything about it, except that Downey Jr. had a cameo in it. After I found out Mark Ruffalo was going to play The Incredible Hulk, it made everything right for me because I'm a huge fan of his works anyway, um, and he righted the ship on that one for me personally. Well, they got it right. Dog with that right. character for sure. So that's all 22, and that's a—I mean—that's a long list of easily screw upable films, and they did a pretty good job. But with all of that came a mythology that's led some to just, oh, there's plot holes all the way through. Just just shut up. Like, it's, <laughs> they had to pay off some fan service. And that's the problem with the people that are just like, oh, they never answered this question on Lost. They were never going to answer all those questions on Lost. Those questions were the point. Damon Lindelof said this at the beginning of The Leftovers. He said, The Leftovers is a show about the questions. It's not about the answers. You're not going to get the answers. You're not going to find out why these people were taken away. Well, because how can you explain the unexplainable? Exactly. There's only one way, and I think Lost got it right in the end. But this was, we have to make sure that Iron Man is sent off properly. We have to make sure that Captain America is sent off properly. We have to make sure that all of these main characters, if we're not going to see them again, and maybe we aren't going to see them again, are sent off properly. And so you knew, I think, going in that one of the two big ones, whether it was Evans or whether it was Downey, one of those two characters was going to die in this film. And I think you knew it was going to be Iron Man the very second that he met his father. And his father talked about how he spent so much time worried about himself and never about the greater good. And that was the definition of what Tony Stark had been. Up to that point. And I think as soon as you heard John Slattery, he was just, there's never going to be a cast that's worth more money than the in-game cast. I mean, you think about the money and the box office power of the names, the level of A-list guys and television celebrities and everybody else that's in that film. I don't think you could put more celebrities in a movie. Well, and I'll say this. I mean, other than Rat Race. Given... Well, I'm kidding. Now, here's what you <laughs> got. Mr. Bean, Cuba Gooding Jr. Well, I'm the oldest guy in this podcast, and I'll tell you this. And you're right about it never being more star-filled or, you know, cinematic monies at the box office, whatever. But as a kid, and this is this is a guilty pleasure of mine, is watching old disaster films. That's what they did in the 70s, whether mm-hmm. it was about an airplane crashing or an earthquake. Towering or a, Inferno. Towering Inferno. Well, all of those films had A-lister talent. They might have been a few years past their prime, but you mentioned Towering Inferno. I mean... That was O.J. Simpson's first role. He was a security guard in that movie. But, I mean, William Holden's in that movie and uh, Fred Astaire's in that movie. Richard Chamberlain. I mean, there's a ton of actors and actresses in that movie that were mega, mega stars in Hollywood. But, yeah, the, the modern-day version of this would never – it would always outpace what they tried to do with those films when I was a kid. Yeah. So – Without getting into the minutiae of the things that you might be able to pull apart and say, well, this doesn't match up with this. You had to get the big things right. 
That's what's going to be memorable is how you write off the things that people actually care about. Only the fanatical completionist and comic book guy from The Simpsons that's going to sit there, worst episode ever, and then sitting there and just asking question after question of people that created these properties because uh, this doesn't follow what happened in issue number 756B cover and things of that nature. You had to get Iron Man right. You had to get Captain America right. You had to get the main core cast right. And so I think... I knew this was going to happen. When the film started on Hawkeye and he was just there with his family, I said, okay, we're about to watch the aftermath of the snap from his, Mm -hmm. because we never saw it. From his perspective. I didn't know they were going to take his whole family from him. I mean, they couldn't have left somebody. They couldn't have left one of the kids. I mean, they took his wife. They took his daughter. Who And somebody wanted to put, what, mayonnaise on a hot dog? (laughs) That's a crime. It is. I mean, she should have been, she should have turned to dust. Like in that moment, (laughs) like Thanos Thanos didn't, Thanos just took 50% and didn't care who it was, but he cared about that. He's like, oh, this broad likes mayonnaise on a hot dog. (laughs) I love that Thanos would call her broad, too. No, he would. When I snap my fingers, half the population and anyone that loves mayo on a hot dog. I mean, (laughs) I mean, that's like right there next to serial killer. It's like you like mayonnaise on a hot dog. That's like Jeffrey Dahmer material. That's why it took out Hawkeye's entire family. They had that half of their DNA. That's, that's exactly oh, right. Mayo man. lovers. But, I mean, it went from right. I remember watching it in the theater. And or we're sitting there with the critic screening. And he turns right. He's like, and you see just enough of the dust to know what has happened. And the whole screening's just like. <gasps> My reaction was. Y'all didn't see this. I like, just kind of look around. It's like, I mean, this is in game, right? Like, I mean, you watched Infinity War, you knew how this happened. Like, he wasn't just going to sit there with his family and have a picnic and then roll credits. Like, no one can be happy in this scenario, right? Yeah. But it went straight from that to that. Uh, what's your fantasy, dear Mister? Dear Mister? Dear Mister? Fantasy. fantasy by traffic. traffic. Yes, which yeah. Steve uh, Winwood and traffic. Yes, you which got I it. which I only I only think of Rich Eisen when I hear that song because of the stupid original NFL Network advertising campaign that used that song with him in a bathtub in a suit. A I'm glad song. you remember that because that's what I associate it with ever since Every then was the launch time. of the NFL Network. Because I I went and searched out that song after I saw that ad campaign. Yeah. But then I heard that, and I was just like, that's another thing that we got later on in the Marvel Universe. Like, Alan Silvestri did do a very good job with the score, but the licensed music that they were able to weave in made Guardians of the Galaxy no question. much better than it would have been otherwise. The soundtrack, and even if you got, like, the Steelbook that Best Buy released, it was like a Walkman. It, was, it wasn't a DVD case. It was like an embossed Walkman yep. that uh, Star-Lord would have been carrying around in that moment. So I think that that helped, but... It gave you gravity right off the top. Okay, stakes. No joke. We're getting right to business right here. It's basically like really what you kind of felt like in Infinity War was, okay, they just stopped filming here. Like the camera cut off, and then the camera cut back on, and we saw it from Hawkeye, and then we just went from there. And then you had Tony Stark, and why am I forgetting her name? I know Karen Gillum, but Nebula. One of the more unsung heroes as it came about in terms of becoming a really interesting character that you didn't know that you were going to have that much draw to playing paper football. (laughs) And you realize that's their last night on Earth. And of course, well, they're not going to kill Tony Stark five minutes into endgame. I tell you what did catch me off guard was them killing Thanos. Yes. Early in the film and beheading him, like yes. I was like, what, 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 what just happened here? Yeah. It's like Game of Thrones all over again. What are we doing for the next two yeah. and a half hours? 
But then you realize, oh, but they've got to go back in time. When they go back in time, he's still going to be alive. And oh boy, let me ask you a question before we get too far. When you think about the MCU movies, do you do you do you even have a preference in this? Where there's a little bit of a prologue before the Marvel Studios title card. I rolls. feel like it's not something that should happen every time, but I think it's special when it does. I think it is. This film started, and we were in a theater where. I don't think the critic screening had any... No trailers. There were no trailers. So the lights go off, and five seconds later, it just opens up on the tree and yeah. Hawkeye with the deal. And I'm just like, ah, ish. Here we Here go. We go. Yeah, it's like, this This matters. I think that you start out those films with Marvel, and you get the applause, and you get the, all right, we're about to get a Marvel film. But when you get that little two-minute cold open or whatever, mm. it just feels like you're watching something more important. And that they're telling this story in kind of a unique way. And so I think that when you went from that shot to to uh, Dear Mr. Fantasy with the Marvel thing rolling through, something about that song also made it feel lengthy. It made it that that's it's like a classic and it made everything feel like, OK, we're doing something big here. Something to pay attention to on your next view. Yeah, that'll be tonight. No, probably not tonight. When the Marvel title card is playing, and it's showing all of the Marvel characters, it's just the six that are left. There's no footage of Black Panther. There's no footage of Spider-Man. There's no footage of everyone that got dusted. Doctor Strange, nobody. It's the six characters... It's 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 the main Death Avengers. Figure out the time, and passage. then when you see some of the video footage in the words Marvel, it's just the existing characters. It's almost as if they said they're gone. They're not even in the title card. Also, good they got snapped out of that. Good move by Thanos leaving the most important Avengers alive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, like if you leave like the Sam, great snap like a coin flip. leave Sam and take Cap. <laughs> Maybe right. you're in better. No offense to Sam, <laughs> but I feel like you've got a better shot if Captain America and Iron Man are not part of the contingent yes. that stays alive. I know it was a random thing, Thanos, but that's why you randomly got your ass beat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was an errored snap. It's it's like Doctor Evil's plan. We're the like, no, fumble. no, we won't kill them. We'll just leave them in a place that they can easily escape yes, from. The, <laughs> the snap, the snap was the butt fumble. It was a botched snap. He is Mark By Sanchez, Thanos. is what you're saying now. Okay. Yes, with an offensive lineman's body. But Thanos yes. the Sanchez. Yes. So <laughs> you left. I mean, did you watch the first film, Thanos? I mean, that was years ago. You could have gone back in time and watched it a million times and known, oh, maybe I should take Hulk out. Maybe I should take the other really big dude out of this kind of thing. Like, leave Ant-Man alive. I know he can turn into big dude. Like, I get he can turn into giant man, but I, I'm... I like my chances with the tertiary characters than I do anybody else. Just a personal opinion on that. So you got to believe the logic of the snap is it's a total coin flip, right? Oh, yeah. It's just 50%. I don't care who it is. It's 50%. It's two-faced. Let, yeah. Let the let the law of fates decide it. Yes. I'm snapping and my fingers. And the mayonnaise hot dog people, too. Yeah, and the mayo people. <laughs> and we knew, that Carv- we, we knew basically that Captain Marvel existed to create a character that they needed for Endgame. Really. I mean, when you watch that film, you're watching a movie that you could have passed on. Look, the 90s nostalgia is great, and I I love anything that involves a blockbuster video being destroyed. But (laughs) I've told that story before. I mean, my history with that company. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Blow it up. 
yeah, just take it out. Like if it, if I could have watched the entire thing get firebombed with like the company executives in it, it's the only way it could have been better. Wow. Man, he is bringing the heat in this one, man. <laughs> Golly, but really, it existed to tie Marvel to Nick Fury, yeah, to set up that scene where he where she was where he was able to fire off the page before he disappeared, so that she would then be able to show up, find out what happened, and then eventually go save Iron Man's life. I mean, no offense to Nebula, but I mean. If Nebula had gone, that had just been Nebula being gone. Tony Stark goes, so does basically the time heist because he's the one that came up with it with the Mobius strip later on. And, of course, you knew they were going to visit him to get it done, and then you immediately knew he was going to turn you down because that's what this character does. He begrudgingly becomes a hero every time. He kind of wants to be left alone, but he also has a he has a pang and an attack of conscience and I think that that pang and attack of conscience grows because of Pepper and because there's a human side that he cared about his work and he cared about his money and his gallows and all that. Pepper changed it. The same thing we talked about Rhett with Michael Scott for such a long time and how Michael Scott was a complete nincompoop. And then Holly came around and changed what he cared about, changed Agreed. what life mattered to that life mattered to him. So what happened to Tony Stark? He met Pepper Potts and he had a child with her. And everything changed. It's life moments. Exactly. He was a playboy before. Exactly. And that's why I hated Iron Man 2 in terms of the way that that character was portrayed as the exact same loser that we saw from the first film that was selfish and was harder to root for. I didn't know he was going to regress. And I think maybe that's what disappointed me just a little bit about the character. But this version of Tony Stark was kind of the, the ideal version because you did get a lot to love about this character pretty early on. And... It continued right there up until his final salvo. But one of the great things I think about Endgame, I know, Brad, you talked about your son kind of calling this or you kind of calling it with him, was taking us back to the other films in those exact same shots. And just like, I remember when it went to 2014 and you see the original Avengers and you see kind of New York again, I got goosebumps because I remember how I felt when I first saw that in the theater so many years ago and it wasn't lazy and it wasn't a trick it was these fans are going to appreciate what we're doing with this right here and it totally was it was back to the future part two it had very much had a back to the future part two feel for it it's it's seeing the movie from a different angle while it's actually happening in real time which which i you know i'm a i'm a huge back to the future fan i yeah we, I, we, yeah, we can do months on that I, other than the dark knight it's my favorite movie of all time love the time travel yeah, absolutely. genre so when this movie went down the, you know the 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 course of time travel. I mean, first of all, I'm already in because it's a Marvel movie. Secondly, now it's a time travel movie and I'm just, I'm, I'm in, I mean, I'm hooked at this point. And when the title card comes up, New York 2012, and you see all the, you know, all the, the, uh, Chitauri attacking New York city. And they, yeah. they actually use the original shot of the one that pulls his mask off and screams and Hulk and the original Avengers are in the street. You know, it's just like, Hell yes. Like yeah. this, you know, put this in my veins yeah. right now. Um, yeah, that was that was really cool. Yeah, it was. And, and just like, and, and even just having like Tilda Swinton pop up. Like I kind of wasn't thinking that one. Sure. You sent me a message. I, obviously, I screened it before you guys. And I know Brad sent the message. Like anybody show up that surprised you that you weren't expecting? And I mean, not really. 
But there were a couple of sideline characters that I didn't necessarily know we were going to see again. That would probably be one of them. I'm trying to think. There, there was one other that was an example of somebody that I didn't necessarily expect to see. Robert Redford? Yeah, Redford showing up. Matthew Barry? Yeah, Matthew Barry from ESPN. <laughs> the fantasy football man. <laughs> what a nice loves, cameo. Who loves those films and has talked about them forever. Wow. And the fact that they put him in it, I'm sure that was a huge thrill for him. But even Marissa Tomei popping up there in the mm-hmm. end, um, there were they made sure everybody that you had watched had some purpose to have existed. Yeah, and nothing is more true about that than Ant Man, because Ant Man pretty much set the stage for everything. So that Ant Man, there is no time travel element right. at all, and there's no way to fix what went down. Also, kind of amazing that it was five years later. I this, loved, I loved that move. Yeah, no, so did I. I thought that was such a stroke of genius. Yeah. And they did such a great job in the trailers and the promotional materials before the the movie was released of just not giving that away at all. Mm-hmm. A lot of misdirection. There's a lot of, of misdirection. there's a lot of scenes in the trailers that are digitally altered where you see Iron, uh, you see Captain America tighten his shield, and that's not what his shield looks like when the time comes. And you know you see Thor, and that's not what Thor looks like. And there's a handshake scene between uh, Tony and and Captain America, and they even changed the suit that Captain America is wearing us to not give away kind of the time period that they're in. I mean, there was there was a lot of, of intentional distortion, uh, you know, that they went above and beyond to not give anything away. And this is a film that definitely rewards you if you didn't just engorge yourself in all the information leading up to it. You know what we did? We watched Iron Man. We watched Captain America, the first Avenger. And I, I say we, I talk, I'm talking me and my son. Yeah. Iron Man, Captain America, the first Avenger, and the original Avengers and Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Those were the four that were the five that we watched <laughs> leading up to it. And honestly, I felt like every major payoff came from one of those. Especially I, as as the end came, as the end of the movie wound down. I was really glad that we went back and watched Captain America. You and I had just Definitely. finished the NFL draft, and I didn't. I I would have liked to have done that. That would have been a nice roundabout to, to prepare me for this. But so we we watched Infinity War as the precursor, just to kind of refresh my memory and get me ready for at least that step of it. But yeah, that nothing. would have been more complete. I watched nothing, and I would plan to watch all of it and really go back through it. And then I was just like, no, I'm going to want to watch a lot of this after the fact. Let it happen organically. So I'm just going to go and I'm going to let them tell me the story, and I'm going to see how much of it comes back to me how much of it i remember and then afterwards i'm going to be so marvel centric that now i haven't had a chance yet but my plan is to go back and watch everything now and watch it in order of chronology not how it was released and just watch them in terms of time and then fill in some gaps what this movie needed was kind of like previously on oh absolutely but you know the anytime you watch one of the episodes of a show that does that you can almost watch the previously you know on what's about, you know who's like, about to be featured all right here's what's about to happen it's like we just saw jen and son in the previously right. on lost and we haven't seen them in a couple of episodes this oh, is so the jen and the son episode yeah, absolutely yeah. yeah yes that's that's very very true but if any movie needed that it would be this one for for people who who maybe had kind of you know recreationally watched the marvel cinematic universe in the you know in the years leading up yeah it's not we discussed this uh, off air that it's not the best standalone film. Mm, I no. mean, it'd be fun to watch from an action perspective, and it's still funny and all. 
but this film is for the the people that have been with Marvel since Iron Man and have gone through it with these characters and have equity and investment in their futures and the calamities that are going to happen and the positives and the negatives and they want to see them treated well. This is that's why it's fan service. Remember when you were a kid and your mom and dad would tell you like if you're good we get done running all these errands. We'll go get you some ice cream. Yes, Th- this movie was that ice cream. A lot. I mean, of that that's ice what cream. it was. The ultimate payoff. You were good by seeing all twenty-one movies and paying attention along right. the way. So, all right, here's your treat. So, before we yep. talk about the payoffs, some of the great one-liners in this film, and there are a lot of them. I think I love you three thousand is going to stick around. Oh wow! For a lot of people, no question. Like Abby has never seen any of the Marvel Cinematic Universe at all. Really, except Black Panther. Okay, and so we're gonna go through it and and watch some of this stuff, but I could see that being something I would say to her, sure, and that that there would be a lot of couples out there that might start to use that because it's used twice and it's used so effectively. Uh, Hail Hydra was just one. I saw it coming before it happened because I, you get in the elevator and you know what he's about to say, but it was still just like stand up and cheer level stuff because Chris Evans had outsmarted. All of these people, and then he ran into himself. And one one of the better lines in the in the whole film is, "I can do this all day." Ah, I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Korg was only on screen for like a minute, and he still gave me that kid called me a dickhead again. <laughs> I just love the response when he says, "You let me know if he gives you any more trouble." Thank you, Thor. Thank, Thank you very you much. Th- I will. Thank you, Thor. <laughs> <laughs> Wi-Fi is free, no password. Obviously, if you want to watch something that you may not have, uh, may not have had not been on your radar, watch what we do in the shadows. That's on FX now. That was a movie that Jermaine Clement, one of one, the other half of Flight of the Concords, and Taika Waititi created the movie, and they're the showrunners on the TV show as well. If you like Taika Waititi and you like Korg, what we do in the shadows is. It's definitely worth paying attention to. It's vampires that are just living in a regular world, doing oh. mundane things. Wow. Mm. I'm already in. It's wow. very it's very funny. And but I can just sit here and talk about it. We just need to do an episode on Korg. That's just, <laughs> just all it is. But I mean, there were really and then on your left. Now see, on your left, for someone like you who's a who's a big it's the actual phone over there. Let's go to the phones. Let's hey, let's take this live. You want to take it live? Let's see what happens. All right, let's let's do this. Oh, it hung up. Oh, oh. dadgummit. That was a quick decision that they realized that they didn't want to be with us. Do you want to edit that or we want to leave it in? No, we'll leave it in. Okay. <laughs> Where were we? What were we talking about? We were talking about Port. on your left. Okay, so on, on your left. left. So for you, as a big fan of Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Yep. The origination of On Your Left happened in that movie. Yes. And I remember you saying or tweeting right after the movie, I, I think On Your Left is going to be something that people really remember. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to tell you, it slipped right by me until you're, you pointed out the reference. And then at that point, I'm like, all right, yeah. I, yeah, I see it. Now. And it's the way it happened, too. It wasn't like into a microphone. It was through the walkie-talkie. Right. And it's just like, <laughs> Steve. On your left. And yeah, it's just it like so boom. quiet. You know what's funny is is that I've seen it three times now, and not a single time in any theater that I was in does the crowd kind of stir at that. You're almost kind of 
when that happens, you're almost thrown by you it. You stir when you see Black Panther yes. walking through. Exactly. When you see that silhouette and you recognize it, people went nuts yeah. in both the screenings I was in. Yeah. But just the, the walkie-talkie chatter, you, you know, you're, you're almost confused by it. You're like, wait a second, what, what are we doing here? Because, you know, the, the, the Hulk snap, which happens right before Thanos attacks Avengers headquarters, yep. that happens so quickly, you almost forget that it happened. You almost forget that you know, Hawkeye gets the phone call from his wife, and at least the signs are there that maybe this worked. A reverse Ant-Man snap. Had the yeah. Paul Rudd looking up into the sky. Right. At the birds and... Yeah. Yeah. And then everything goes to crap because, right. well, we have a climax to do here, and we have something we have to take care of. But there were there were a number of those. The Lebowski line I really liked. <laughs> and there's a lot of scenes of just... And there's one scene in particular of Hemsworth just sitting in the back right corner in a chair where the focus is soft on him and it's not even really focused in, and it's the only thing I see in that shot. Even though everybody else is in front of him, I'm just looking at him in the back with a can in his hand, and that's all I'm paying attention to. Another really underrated deal is Hulk in the restaurant taking photos with the kids and Ant-Man, like, hey, I'm Ant-Man. You want to take a photo with me? And just the, what was it he said to him as they're leaving or whatever? Stay in school or listen to your mom. Listen to your mom. Dab. Dab. That's, like, just... There's there's a lot of that kind of stuff. The only thing that took me out of the entire movie for a couple of just seconds is the Hawkeye scene in Tokyo where Black Widow goes to get him. You know what that was? On second viewing? Bathroom break. Oh, wait, sure. I can understand. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought that was a movie set. Because it looked so artificial compared to everything else that I had been watching. Yeah. I thought, we're watching a movie, and at the end of this, you're going to hear, all right, cut, we'll take that one. And then, no, that's actually Hawkeye him killing goes people. to Hollywood. Yeah, like I thought something else was going down, but I mean, Hawkeye, we knew. Tokyo Drift. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was, I was just like, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly right. It was Lucas Black. Like, either, either it was Hawkeye's deal because we knew he was doing some bad stuff because we had heard, you know, the war machine conversation through the hologram or it was like hawkeye as a movie star or something and it just turned out to be renner and it was it made more sense when black widow was the one there because those are the two characters that were married to one another on screen as like brother and sister basically right. not romantically ever but right yeah funny enough about hawkeye he's the only person that ever speaks the word hawkeye in the entire 22 movie series the only time he's referenced otherwise is as Barton. Is the only time he ever said Hawkeye when he said it to his daughter? When he says it to his daughter. When he called because, her Hawkeye? Because um, in the Avengers, when they introduce Hawkeye, mm-hmm. and they ask, where's Barton? And and Selvig says, you mean the Hawk? That's true. You hear Clint and you hear Barton the They never time. call him Hawkeye. That's interesting. Not one time. I wonder why. I don't know. But then he calls his daughter Hawkeye when she hits the bullseye on the on the bow and arrow. Maybe they don't think his character's important enough. Maybe that's why there won't be a Hawkeye movie. Well, you know, it's like it's like no one has referred to Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel. Yeah, they call her Danvers. They call Most her Carol. The they call her Danvers. Yeah, they don't, they, you know. It's because Captain Marvel's stupid. Carol. <laughs> Carol Danvers. That sounds like a, we're going to go see your den mom and Cub Scouts, Carol Danvers. <laughs> <laughs> Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers sounds like a like a character in a three episode run of Laverne and Shirley. Where's Carol True. Danvers today? Yeah, Carol Danvers She's dated the, the big ragu. Line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Carol Danvers is in charge of selling uh, Girl Scout cookies yes. in front of Walmart this weekend. <laughs> Cough syrup bottles are like going off an assembly line and hitting the ground. I was like, that's that damn Carol Danvers again. <laughs> Hey, after the flag football game, Carol Danvers has snacks. There's Robitussin everywhere on the floor, and it's Carol Danvers' fault. (laughs) (laughs) What does Clint Barton sound like? Because they're both kind of like weird names. Yeah, Like Clint Barton sounds like... From the law offices of Clint Barton. Barton and Barton. Clint Barton accounting. I'm Clint Barton from Barton and Barton. (laughs) (laughs) But you can call me Hawkman. Because I'm a Hawkman in the courtroom. Clint Barton is a guy you didn't know that never wins the deacon elections at the Baptist church. (laughs) Oh, that's Clint Barton. He's not going to win. Clint Barton's the guy that won $10,000 off of a uh, quarter pull machine up in Evansville. (laughs) Pictures on the wall. Clint Barton gets up in front of the church and he's like, you need to give to the building fund. We're going to be at the fellowship hall for a potluck coming after here. Oh, is that Clint? That's that old Clint Barton again. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Clint Martin, never going to be a deacon in this church. And what's amazing is Matt Fraction wrote a Hawkeye like arc since the first Avengers came out. It's one of the like highest received critical arcs of comics in the last 20 or 25 years. He wrote an Iron Man arc. It was really good. Then he wrote this Hawkman story, and people were like, Hawkman could be an A-level character at this point because of this writing. And we've seen that happen before, and then we've seen the reverse, which is nobody gave a damn about Guardians of the Galaxy. And then the film came out, and now... People care about it. So it, it did work in that respect. So there was a lot to like, and there was a lot of a lot of laughter. I would say that Thor and Hulk almost stole the first half of the film, just in terms of being sheer entertainment around the gravity of the stuff that was going around. Like, I mean, obviously Iron Man and Captain America are the two big characters, but they have a lot on their minds. They have a lot that's going on. And then they go back in time, and they don't pull off the heist. They're the only ones that aren't able to pull it off. Everybody else does what they're supposed to do except them because of their past selves, mainly because Iron Man, because the door opens with the Hulk having to take the stairs and knocking <laughs> it to stairs. Take the stairs. Hulk eight stairs. Yes. And so it knocks it around, and then there's the Matthew Berry sequence, and there's Robert Redford and that whole deal. So then they have to figure something else out, and they figure out to go back even further. And then you get to the, you know, the first Avenger. Basically, you get, you get back there, and you get to Hank Pym, and then we get to see Peggy Carter. And there's there's Haley Atwell and there's John Slattery, like they find a way to get more of the the Pym particles, but they also take you back again to just sort of marry you to this past of these characters and make you care. Howard Stark meeting Tony and the conversation where Tony basically tells his dad, "You're going to be fine. You're going to know what you do," and he's giving his own father advice on how to raise him. But he's not doing it in a way like, don't screw me up like you did the first time. He's basically saying, I think you're going to be a good dad. And it's because he was a good dad. It wasn't It wasn't a bad situation there. But also, Tony was able to learn from his own father, listening to him in those moments. And they have a really... And Slattery's perfect to play that character in that moment. And I, I love that. That's actually the first time where I kind of had to fight back to tears. I ain't going to lie. This film's impossible to not cry through if you've watched all of the rest of these movies and care about these characters. It's impossible unless you have no soul. So I mentioned I went. So Brett um, probably didn't cry. I went Sunday morning. I did morning. not shed a tear, but I choked up three or four times at least. Mm. I went the Sunday morning after Jonathan Hutton's LLS 
Man of the Year campaign oh, gala. Man. Okay, that was an emotional weekend. Right it was there. emotional, and we were all tired because we we'd done like eighty eight hours of draft coverage <laughs> and everything along. But so we go to the gala. And, man, there were some a- absolute heartbreaking stories there at the gala. Absolutely. Those um, stories of those kids. The that children we saw. who, oh, yes, and, and, you know, parents who'd lost their kids. And I I went into that movie Sunday morning with, with my emotions on my sleeve to begin with. And, dude, I was freaking tearing up at, at Hawkeye losing his family. Like, two minutes in, I thought, God, I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> I am so screwed. And then so, you know, then, then – um, then Thor sees his mom. His mom oh, yeah. passed. My mom passed two years ago, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, <laughs> and my wife's like, you are such a candy. You know, like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, getting me right now. <laughs> my son, who's like, this is not my dad. Hey, tell, dad. Mom, tell me that the mailman is my dad and that this is not my dad. But, I mean, look, it just was what it was. It but, was. Yeah. It was. It and was dusty. Were, and there were some positive and negative cries. Like, there were some of those, sure. like, cries of, like, this is just emotionally resonant, not just I'm boohooing for no reason. But they, well, you're invested. You're 21-plus movies invested in this thing. Right. And, again, Marvel was able to straddle that fence between being very funny at times and also being heavily dramatic and making you care. For example, just all of what we just talked about and then Ant-Man and Back to the Future. And the stuff when they were sitting on Tony Stark's porch. So great. And just explaining it. And actually, the way it was explained, I had never thought about it before. Before Because it's always, oh, the space-time continuum. And right. uh, everything changing. But I'd never really thought about the fact that when you go back to the past, it's not like what you've already done hasn't happened. You're rewriting the future. Because it's now the present. And so it kind of defeats it. And so Paul Rudd's like, so you're telling me... <laughs> Back to the Future is a bunch of BS, yeah, man. Yeah, basic, basically so. And then it plays out because Captain America at the end of the film goes back in time to put everything back, to put all the stones back where they belong. And then you see him, of course, on that bench in his, I guess he has to be in his 90s at that point, Every or late 80s, yeah, yeah. based on the time frame. And then I'm like, oh, man, he decided he wanted to be with Peggy Carter and not be Captain America. No, he was Captain America for however many years that we've watched him play that. Then he went back in time, and time continued, and he had had that life. And now he wanted the life that was taken away from him and the kiss and the dance that he never had that is the lasting scene of that film is he was able to live both. He was actually able to have his cake and eat it too. He was able to save the world and be Captain America and also be Steve Rogers, the husband to Peggy Carter and the father of however many children they have that are probably all superhuman. I only saw Captain America, the the first Avenger, once in theaters. I didn't. Even, I saw it at a drive-in, and then I've seen it occasionally on like FX or something. So I was really glad I went back and watched it right before going to see Endgame because it really cemented that relationship with with Steve and Peggy. And you know, as he's putting that plane into the into the ocean, trying to save New York, and she's saying, you know. We're going to have that dance, you know, 8 o'clock. And he says, you know, I may be a little late for that dance. You know, to see that payoff that many years later, I thought was a really, really well done piece of writing. Yeah, and you hear in The Winter Soldier that, you know, Peggy did have children with an unnamed man. 
and they don't tell you about the kids and they don't tell you about the father. Now, in Civil War, it's revealed that it's not Steve, so they kind of just kind of like, don't worry about that. It was Steve. But, I'll, but again, I'm okay with it. But again, <clears throat> the Hulk, present changed. Hulk, Hulk explained, yes. I thought, somewhat succinctly. In my mind, in terms of time travel, is built around the Back to the Future rules where you don't talk to your former self and you don't bet on sporting events. <laughs> but what Hulk said is, if you think about it from a quantum perspective, if you go into the past... That past becomes your future, and your present becomes your past. Right. So it's not possible to change your past right. by changing something in your future. Right. And I thought, okay, I'll accept it, because as far as I know, time travel is not actually possible. Yeah, so if you, you want to put, ru- yeah, yes. you put rules. rules in it, that's fine. That's yeah. your rules. Yes. If you write that story, you have every right to make up something that's completely fictional and, 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 and make it where it's... It, and at least, they, at least they did that and then paid it off in the same film Absolutely. with those rules. And that's – Doctor Strange holds up the one finger late in the film. And, of course, Tony had asked him, is, you know, of your 14 million simulations, you said one, blah, blah, blah. If I tell you what happens, it's not going to happen because – once you know something's going to happen, you try to manipulate and manufacture it, and you can't do that. Like it has to, it has to occur naturally, especially in some ways. if it involves sacrifice. Exactly. And so, when he holds up the one finger, do you think to yourself they're going to survive this, which you probably already thought was going to happen anyway, or do you think Iron Man's got to die when he holds up the that finger? That was my thought. My thought was Iron Man's got to got to die. It, it's it's time for him to sacrifice himself. For the greater good, I, just like his father had said an hour before. I wasn't 100% that it was Iron Man, but I knew that there was going to be serious collateral damage in the product. So they, the outcome. Based so, on the two conversations, if yeah. I tell you it's not going to happen, and then as as it's getting really real, as he looks over at him and he holds up the one finger, it's almost as if the nod to say, yeah, it's you. You've got to handle this. The two best facial expressions in the entire film. One of them, actually both of them, brought tears. The first one was Iron Man and Tony seeing Peter and realizing that Spider-Man was there. Mm. Because early in the film, and I didn't catch it in the critic screening, but when I went back and watched it, I heard it loud and clear. When he first got to Earth, after Captain Marvel, he said, I lost the kid. And I did not pick up on it the first time, and I picked up on it the second time. And then you realize, man, if you go back and you watch Spider-Man Homecoming, he's like a father to Peter Parker and you see that shot later on where Tony's got bunny ears mm-hmm. on Peter Parker and they've got the Avengers thing upside down and that was kind of the catalyst for Tony saying okay I've got to do this I have to go do this but when he rolls up to him and Peter's just talking a mile a minute and all this kind of stuff the look on Downey's face the look that he sells where you just see this little bit of a grin but it's almost like he's in awe like he's just this was so worth it for this one moment that got me like that that and Chris Evans' face in the dance scene right before it says the end, and it gives you the old, almost like it's in the 50s, in cursive, like the end of It's a Wonderful mm-hmm. Life or something like that. Those two facial expressions are pitch perfect, and those two write-offs are perfect. Not to be outdone is the way they write Black Widow off and the fight between her and Hawkeye to determine who is going to be the one to sacrifice because these are the two characters that don't believe they have worth. Like, what is Black Widow if she doesn't do this? Because Chris Evans says, 
maybe we shouldn't, or maybe you shouldn't yeah. do this. Maybe she's this like, doesn't need to be done. Yeah. Because they're trying to retrieve the soul stone, right? Right. So a soul for a soul. Yes. And I did not pick up on the fact that that was going to happen. And then I saw, obviously, the Red Skull or you know, the, that kind of Reaper. And then I realized, oh, wait, one of them's not Somebody. coming back from this. You know what I thought just for a half a second? I thought, I thought when it said, you know, you have to sacrifice that which you love. And I thought, what if Hawkeye like throws his bow off the? Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe Clint should have tried that. Be gone. <laughs> maybe, they're, maybe, and they're like, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's really nothing you like more than that thing. So I mean, maybe, maybe Clint just should have tried that first. <laughs> maybe right. I mean, you could get more of those. He's like, damn, I really love this bow and arrow. I mean, it's I've had it for a while. I hate Carol Devers. <laughs> I'm gonna throw her down here. No, it's just kind of like you know what? I got a pretty dope watch. <laughs> <laughs> You're just chunking crap off this mountain? Like, nope, that didn't do it? Okay, what's next? And by the way, how cool is the new Peter Parker Spider-Man suit that Tony Stark had made for him in this deal? Iron with the Spider. arachnid Yeah, the, the one straight out of the PS4 game that Man. sucked out a lot of my winter last year. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it was. It was Fantastic. great. Fantastic. And you see it in the trailer for Far From Home. Yes. But... Of the kind of write-offs, and I get—I mean, is Thor gone now too? Are they all gone? No, I'm—I'm I'm fairly certain Thor's going to be in Guardians Three. Thor is going to be a part of Guardians Three. Chris Hemsworth still has maybe like two pictures left. Yeah. So there's talk of doing a Thor Four, Ragnarok Two, and an As Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, which I'm good with those. I yeah. think those will both be very good. Downey's gone. Evans is gone. Scarlet's dead. Uh, I don't think that. Yeah, I mean, yes, that sucks. Um, Renner, there's no point for Renner really to be there. He's back with his family, and his arc is complete. Put mayonnaise on his hot dogs. Yeah, I'm gonna try that tonight. You know what? You know what Clint Barton sounds like? Clint Barton sounds like the kind of dill hole that would put mayonnaise on a hot dog. <laughs> we hope you'll join us this weekend for the holy matrimony between Clint Barton and Carol Danvers. <laughs> The two most boring people with a white picket fence you've ever seen. Carol's got a famous molasses for you. <laughs> Listen, children, I don't want you to go outside right now. Our old nasty neighbor, Carol Danvers, is outside smoking. You know, her husband lost an arm in the war. They're, they give us the, the mean eye every time we go outside. Oh, don't lost a leg to diabetes. <laughs> You stay away from Carol Danvers. I ain't so sure about her. She's the one that I'm pretty sure put a nail in somebody's apple last Halloween. <laughs> She's been known to load a pi- lace a pixie stick with some LSD. Hey, neighbor Carol's got another boysenberry pie on the windowsill. Don't take that pie from Carol Danvers. You don't know what that thing's got in it. You hear, we don't talk to her. Do you hear Clint Barton's in county lockup again? <laughs> Ain't no telling he's doing the perp walk ain't again. Ain't no telling what he's done this time. Why they let him out? I feel month? like I'm about to go Forrest Gump and be like, yeah, Clint Barton, the local idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything you didn't like about this film? Uh, on second viewing, third viewing, there were, there, were, there were some more, there were lulls that, because I knew how they, they shake out, like, like the Thanos Nebula, um... The, the other real, the nebula from the past and right. the present storyline. That drags a little bit in the middle on second and third viewing. But frankly, I don't have any big problems with it. I really don't either. 
Yeah. I mean, no. that, that's me like shooting holes in something that doesn't need to have holes shot in it. I don't anticipate nitpicking anything in the next two or three times I see it. I, but I'm just a simple dude. I enjoy it, and I just sit back and enjoy it. And I, I enjoyed this as good as anything I've seen in quite a while. I've, I enjoyed this as as much and certainly more than I did Thor Ragnarok when I saw it. Mm. I mean, the Marvel, this one was going to be good. I'm not surprised this movie was good. I'm taking aback it was this good just because I know this film could be this good. I know they were going to be able to pay all of this off the way they did in three hours. The most surprised I've been in a movie in ages is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse without any that question. It's phenomenal. I mean, I can't see that film, that film enough. Oh, that's not the actual phone. No, that's the ISDN. That is that is not the actual phone. This is IRS calling. This is a uh, this is Clint Barton. <laughs> IRS I'm, I'm Carol Danvers hi, with the is, credit card hi, consolidation hi, loans. Hi, this is Carol Danvers. <laughs> I smoke four packs a day. Oh, I gargle with old razor blades. <laughs> Why does Carol Danvers sound like Billy Bob Thornton from Sling Blade? All right, then. <laughs> Carol Danvers of French Fried Taters. I like mustard and biscuits. Do people name their daughters Carol anymore? I hope not. I don't think. That's I mean, no offense a... to any Carols out no. there. I'm just, you know, I've, I've said this for a long time. We're going to get to a point. This is a total aside. Sorry. Yeah, this is good stuff. We're, we're going to get to a point where you have grandmothers named Brittany. Oh yeah, no! There's gonna be. I mean, Jason's one of the most popular names when I was growing. When I was when they picked the two names everybody was being given with Jason and Josh. Yeah. And I hear every time I hear Jason, I think I'm 13 and I hate my name. But a ton of people have that name, and yeah. a ton more people are gonna have that name. But yeah, I don't know about Grandma, Grandma Michaela. Brittany, <laughs> Grandma Destiny. <laughs> First off. Grandmother shouldn't be named Destiny. Hey, I'm going over to Granny Gamora's house. <laughs> She's green as hell. I mean, if you want to call Grandma anything, call her Fate. Yeah. <laughs> Grandma Felony. <laughs> Grandma that's, that's had a Grandma bad. from Crazy Horse. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly where I was going with that. Grandma Topaz. <laughs> Topaz. Wow. Oh, <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so oh, where so, so where are we going from here in terms of the Marvel universe? I mean, Spider Man Far From Home is supposed to be end of what Phase Four or is it Phase Three? Yeah, and and something that I actually read today that I think is fascinating and may warrant another viewing of Endgame. Oh well, any excuse is that Endgame now has a post credits sequence. I mean, oh, why, man? It's the trailer for Spider-Man: Far From Home. They've I mean, added it to the end of Endgame. same one I've seen though, right? Yes, the one that released just this week that is very spoiler. Oh heavy. yeah, it gives away half of Endgame. Yeah, and uh, and there are all kinds of things that are you know up for debate as as far as that goes. That is now going to air in theaters after the conclusion of Endgame. So if you've seen it a couple of times and you think after you know the the cast sign off. There's nothing to see. Stick around this time. You might see a little something extra. I assume that film will be good. I like that it's it's not just some side side deal. It's built right off the end of Endgame. Like it's built to continue the storyline for Marvel. I just don't know where we're going after that. There's a whole lot of untitled Marvel films that are scheduled over the next four or five years, two or three a year. But we don't know what those films are going to be, except we assume Guardians Three will be one of them. We're staring down a lot of uncertainty. We're staring down films like 
Guardians of the Galaxy in the sense of, on its face, a movie like Immortals, you might look at right. and say, I'm not sure I care about that. And then you might go see it and, and come away from it saying, this is the best Marvel movie I've ever seen, and let me tell you why. So, you know, that's really kind the, of what we're then up Then there's against. the other thing. Yep. And that's the kind of obvious thing that's staring us in the face, which is another film that's coming out relatively soon is Dark Phoenix. Yes. And Sophie Turner is becoming A-list, obviously, because of Game of Thrones. She's married one of the Jonas brothers, and uh, the Sansa Stark character could end up on the Iron Throne at the end of this. She's certainly, I think, one of the top five betting favorites right now to end up on in charge of the Seven Kingdoms. But what we have not seen is that side of the Marvel Universe blow into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The X-Men, uh, the Deadpool, that opens up a wealth of new possibilities. And this multiverse that seems to be sort of hinted at right there in the Spider-Man film would sort of open up the proverbial wormhole to make that possible if they can make the deals and the arrangements that they need to make. I want to see Hugh Jackman yeah, yeah. back as Wolverine Ooh. in a Disney-led MCU X-Men or Wolverine pick. You know what I want to see? Another Captain Marvel movie, and it's Carol Danvers, <laughs> Redwood Deck, The Trailer Park Years, <laughs> followed by... Captain Marvel, The Smoking Porch. <laughs> Where all we see is Carol Danvers with, like, Paul Malls in her hand. For Exactly. She's wearing mom jeans, Ted's, some old blouse, and she's just chain-smoking. <laughs> just hot-boxing it, man. Drinking some she's unnamed the- liquid out of a mason jar. She's <laughs> Carol Danvers. Either that or a damn Mountain Dew. Carol Danvers, the graveyard shift cashier at the Tiger Market. But right now, what, there's there's Far From Home, and then there's May of 2020, November of 2020 are untitled Marvel films right now, three in 21, three in 22, and one that's further out past that. So there's a whole lot here. And then, of course, there's the television stuff. There's it should start dropping around November. And then there's the universe that's been shut down as well with Daredevil and Jessica Jones, which will get, I guess, its final episodes and then be done there uh luke cage which has been moved on from the defenders which has been moved on from the immortal iron fist which was never good and has been moved on from those things just weren't long for this world because of or disney plus and and everything that they're going to do i am interested in some of these series that are coming however and you asked me just yesterday brad and i had already had it on my radar i'm planning to actually sit down and watch it agents of shield because i never have and I, <clears throat> and I have Agent Carter, and it's good. And it's a real easy eight eight episodes done in and out, and Haley Outwell's really good, and that character's fun. What's the time period that Agent Carter's set in? Because they went back in— Before the first Avenger, right? That's like in the 40s, isn't it? Is it? I think it's, or is it's it, like is, noir. Or is Agent Carter post-Captain America? Maybe that's right. Maybe that's right. Well, see, the interesting thing is, so Captain America happened roughly 1945. Yeah. In Endgame, they go back to 1970. Yeah. Which would have made Peggy Carter 25 years older. Maybe it's the 50s. Then he left her. Yeah. But at the end of the movie, when they're dancing, the car that goes by, what year is the car? I mean, you're you're a car guy, Rhett. Uh, Late 40s, early 50s. What car is that? That's Clint Barton, the milkman. (laughs) Yeah. I can't remember by. what uh, I 
I think that's Carol Danvers' ditty. I can't remember what car it was that uh, that we're referencing. I'd have to think about it. Co- it goes. It's just real. It's really a passing. I think it's an old Ford that just drives by the house right as it's kind of pushing into the window and they're having their dance. And and the, that was my only takeaway of the time period because it doesn't give you anything other than that. I'm thinking early 1950s. Yeah. That. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. It's like. A, it's like a 48 or 49 model Hudson Hawk or yeah, something like that. Go. Ooh, Hudson Hawk. Maybe he could be in a future film. Yes, maybe Bruce could. Willis. Maybe he I'd could. have to go back and look. I can't remember what it is, but it's something like that. It's disappointing that you don't know. I I've only seen it like, once. I felt like you had yeah. been taking notes. I only, I've only seen it once, but I this gives me an excuse to go see it again. That's, and that's again. looking for. Any excuse that you get a chance to see it again. So what's your, what's your favorite thing in this film? This is a good way to finish this part of the discussion. We're going to do more Marvel next week, and this draft has got to happen. You know what yours is. You told me. Time travel? N- no. The, one of your favorite moments, Captain America. Okay, so when, dance. Yeah, when, no, when Captain America picks up the, picks up the hammer. Dance. When Captain <laughs> America picks up the hammer. And furthermore, and when, I, he, <laughs> when, when he finally... old Danvers dance. When he finally gives the command of Avengers Assemble... He reaches out and he like summons, oh, right. summons the hammer oh. and there's a pregnant pause and he says, Avengers. I knew it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he gives the Avengers assemble command. Uh, I was, I was, I hate when people clap in movie theaters. You've seen it with me. I'm a big like decorum guy. Like, shut up. There's no people on the stage. They can't hear you. Don't clap. Right. That I popped for that. I was like, yes, that is big time. My favorite moment in this movie is when Banner and Hulk are morphed together. I love that. Hmm. I love that. Just him and he's got the horn rim glasses on and you know explaining the time travel. That I I love that. I don't know what it is. I think it's just it's so different from the angst and just tear the hell out of everything Hulk smash like you normally would see when he's all hulked up. But I love that part. I think Brad, you may have the right answer. But I'll try to come up with something different. That's a really hard one to go against. It really is. Especially with Thor, who always believed Captain America was super worthy and all this kind of... There's some. There's a humility in Thor's happiness in that moment. That Captain America is somebody that can wield that. I mean, I think that... I think different audience might have different answers. I think there are a lot of females out there that can, you know, get really behind all the women in the movie getting together towards the end. Like all the female characters. That would be one. But I would say maybe mine is is honestly the one that I mentioned when Spider-Man and Iron Man are reunited in that moment. Just because it's more subtle and it's not belabored, but there's just something very important on a mul- on multiple degrees emotionally that, that really stands out. That and on your left are probably the two that stand out the most to me. And uh, I think the hologram with the kids and the way that they do the funeral sequences extremely well done too we might get a ruling on the car from Rhett. oh we've given him a little visual evidence that here. car uh at next glance looks like i couldn't scroll it back i'll let Let's it see if I can find drive it by um that is an a late 40s early 50s model either a ford or a chrysler product i want to say my grandfather had a car like that my dad's dad yeah, and the guy that sold it to him Clint Barton. Clint Barton. Barton Motors. I think, or secondhand used from Carol Danvers. I want to say Agent Carter was set in the 50s, but I could easily just That sounds right. Out. Yeah, given the hood ornament and the grill and everything, I, that looks like a, 
like a, a 49 Chrysler or a or Ford. First season takes place like in that. 46. So it's like kind of bridging there. Yeah. The gap in that. But it's really good. Um, and I say that as someone who hasn't seen it, but I know it is. I've heard it from a million different people. So I just need to sit down and watch it because it's not going to take very long. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I, I don't mind watching Clark Gregg be Agent Coulson for a while either. Phil. Just another guy. Maybe that guy can be a wild card in the draft next week. Phil's deserving. He's not He's not first round, but he's deserving. Also, a little, little nice little tinge is Jarvis, Paul Bettany's voice. Was anybody that. sad that there was no um, no vision in this movie? No. The whole I didn't vision. miss vision, but I thought I needed a little more vision. I'm glad we got Scarlet Witch. Yeah. Because I really like Elizabeth Olsen's yeah. portrayal yeah. of that character, and she played an important She's going to be one of the standalone characters, yeah. right? Wanda? It's a show called WandaVision. Yeah. Fish called WandaVision. WandaVision. <laughs> I don't. That, that's not like at the top of my list. Is she playing the character in yeah. that? Okay. Well, can, everybody like there's everybody's there's, playing the role. There's right? a, there's there's a series about Loki. Loki. Yes. Tom Hiddleston's playing it. There's there's a series called uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yep. And there's one called Chesterfield with Carol Danvers. <laughs> <laughs> Just about a car uh, no, that, no, that thing. <laughs> no, that thing's called R.J. Reynolds. Yes. Yes, that's right. Tobacco Road. Carol Danvers with- is married to Philip Morris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm rich. All the cigarettes I want. If you missed it earlier, we're not really diminishing anything about Captain Marvel so much as just the name Carol Danvers just sounds like someone who might lead your PTO. Carol Danvers has that mean dog. She's our next door neighbor. That dog's got one eye been rolled by a car. <laughs> you stay away from that dog and Miss Danvers. They're both goofy. She's mean. That dog's got goofy three. run over dog. That dog's got three legs and I'm pretty sure she took the fourth. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to do a draft next week with Avengers characters. Sweet. From the Marvel Cinematic Universe and I'm thinking in my head there's a long list. Uh, this one's going to require prep. I'm going to have to come in here with a fantasy draft ranking. You need Coach Dave McGinnis to build you a, a draft uh, board. A draft board, Marvel draft boards. Right. I just need Dave McGinnis after every pick to be like, Jay March, you're 100% right. Ant-Man was an excellent pick in this point. He's a multifaceted character. He can do everything to time heist. He can go big. That. He can go small. <laughs> Spider-Man, Spider-Man is very Gumby. He's got lots of bend. I'm from Texas, so I don't know my ass from a hole in the ground. But let me tell you something about, let me tell you something about wasp. <laughs> no, no, no. You're absolutely right. So we're gonna have fun with the draft, uh, like we had fun with Endgame. I might have seen it a couple of more times by the time we're back in here as well. If you haven't watched that Far From Home trailer, I mean, use it as an excuse to say only t- yes. only place you can watch this is in, in Endgame. Is there anywhere anywhere you'd rather see a trailer than on the big screen? Come on. And look, those theaters are no smoking. So Carol Danvers will not be in there. <laughs> for Rhett, for Brad, Avengers Endgame, A+. Plus? A Definitely plus. A+. Plus. I love it, 3,000. Uh, it's a perfect ending. We'll talk to you next week.